Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I'm Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial. This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of Greenrope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison Bloom-Fashtok, the founder and CEO of Know Your Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Mari Confectionery. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Now, executives, I want you to hear me out. I know that in your company today, one of the things, especially if you're a fast growing company, is you are seeing the pull and the tug and the miscommunication and the misalignment between your marketing team and your technology team. And you would love to be able to bring those two together, be able to not only deal with what you're working on right now to maintain the ship, but also still be able to get time and carve out ways to come up with the new innovative things about your tomorrow and have fortunate discoveries. Well, listen up. This is for you. You should insert a company that can help you make fortunate discoveries about tomorrow today. That is Serendipity Interactive. This company fuels innovation by helping you make those fortunate discoveries. If you want to learn more, feel free. Go to our website, www.serendipityinteractive.com. That's www.serendipityinteractive.com. Tell them Chris sent you and be prepared to make your fortunate discovery today. Hey, I know you're enjoying the show, but you also have a product or service and you think it would actually be beneficial for executives that we interview or those who listen to our show or our audience. How about if you had your product or service right here in this spot? Well, if you want more information or you're interested in being able to advertise with us or potentially be a sponsor, feel free to send me an email info at highlevelwisdom.com info at highlevelwisdom.com to learn how you can advertise and or be a sponsor of our show. Now, let's listen to this week's episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode. Welcome to another week. Thank you so much for listening to our show uh, where CEOs and millennials meet high level wisdom for new generation leaders. Um, this week is really, really cool. Um, there's so many different things. It's October and in October, uh, the seasons change. The leaves show different colors. Uh, some people call it fall. Uh, some people call it autumn. I think the smart people call it fall or <laughs> whatever you may call it. Um, the weather uh, is changing for many of us. Uh, but on our show, we continue to uh, bring you high quality uh, conversations that I get to have with CEOs around the country uh, who share in thoughts and ideas about uh, millennial engagement in C-suites. And so if you have not heard our show yet, go back and take a listen. Or if this is your first time, thank you for listening, because you are going to hear a really interesting perspective from someone who sits in a space that many of you CEOs uh, deal with every day. So let me paint the picture for you. Uh, your company started in the garage or in the office of your house and it's now growing and it's growing uh, in considerable fashion. You're three to five years in, you're enjoying it, but you're also scared because you have absolutely no idea how to get to a point to sell 
Or more importantly, what does it mean when it's time to uh, have my company ready to sell? What things do I need to do? What strategies do I need in place? Um, how do I do that? And what do I need to do? And where am I today? Well, this company, Capstone, is a great company who specializes in just that. Whether you're going through a strategic merger and acquisition, also known as an M&A, whether you're working on a privately held transaction for someone who's actually just coming to purchase your company with a private equity firm. Uh, if you need strategy development, this company gets it. And one of the reasons why we have the CEO, David Braun, on today is because he has a very interesting passion around manufacturing. More importantly, he has an interesting passion around millennials and bringing them up and talking about this space of uh, what do you do when you grow and how do uh, millennials approach this place uh, different than maybe baby boomers? Um, you're going to love his insights in today's conversation. So I want you to sit back, relax, make sure that you uh, share this episode. This is my exclusive interview with David Braun, the CEO of Capstone. Take a listen. David, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me, Chris. I'm a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And so, so David, here's what I want to do. Um, you've done some very interesting things with your company outside of just helping successful mergers. Uh, you know, you're helping companies with, uh, you know, privately held transactions, you know, strategic development, you know, marketplace research. You've, you've done the gambit with your company, but I really want to kind of start back at the beginning. You know, let's start back when you were just an employee. You know, talk to us about where you were, what that time frame was like to be an employee. And what was the thing that tipped you over to say, not only do I want to be a leader one day, but I want to run a company. Get, give us an understanding of your uh, corporate journey to getting to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. Um, so when I got out of uh, business school, I um, had the great fortune of working for a boutique investment bank and got to be exposed to a lot of different um, uh, avenues and transactions that were going on, but most of it was, uh, I, I, I spent a fair amount of time on international transactions and, you know, really f found a passion for, you know, all the things that go into, you know, the quote-unquote deal-making uh, aspect of it. Um, there, there are a lot of technical things that go into it, but my passion in particular was the strategy of it. You know, it wasn't so much about um, for me, it wasn't so much just about the financial, you know, valuation part of it or the legal structuring, but it was really the the why. Why would we want to acquire this company? Why would we, you know, put all this money and effort into buying another company? And so for me, that passion really grew around the strategy uh, part of it. And um, and then I got recruited to go work for a fast-growing IT company. Um, and uh, my job was really to help them to grow the business and be, be uh, an internal resource for helping them thinking about business development and, and, uh, and different avenues for growing the business through external growth. And um, I spent, oh, I don't know, half a dozen or so years there, and my passion never really, you know, dampered. It actually got rekindled because I had the opportunity then, uh, my boss at the time, uh, took an early retirement unexpectedly, and his boss, who became my boss, uh, gave me a, a, a real opportunity. At a very young age, he gave me, you know, what we'd call in the industry a battlefield promotion, and allowed me to have, you know, just a lot of exposure at a very young age. And w one of the things that I that I really saw was 
for many companies, especially middle market companies, they didn't have a lot of, of people inside of their organization that spent time really thinking about the strategy, the why. You know, where do we go from here? How do we, how do we continue to position our, our company uh, for growth? And so that really was what compelled me to start uh, Capstone uh, back in 1995, uh, really with the concept of doing one thing, and that is helping companies to grow. Um, because I saw an awful lot of people that understood the technical part and I knew that that was an important component to it, but I didn't see a lot of people helping on the strategic part of it. And so I started Capstone really with the idea of, of being a full service. How do we help you think about strategy and growing your business all the way through to who do we partner with? How do we put those transactions together? You'd mentioned the privately held focus. That's our kind of our niche and sweet spot. It's really about strategic companies that fit, not just companies that are for sale. Um, and then helping to think all the way through the pieces of, you know, how do we bring those kinds of, of uh, companies on board and, you know, including the technical pieces that are important, the valuation and the due diligence and the legal structure and all those things. But the root of it all is that concept of how do we think about positioning our company. And I think that, you know, that kind of, you know, when you talked about this conversation uh, around millennials, which I know we're going to uh, be moving towards it, it's really not a lot different in some respects because one of the one of the uh, things that I always tell people is is grow or die. And sometimes people push back and say, "Well, you know, I'm not really looking for for growth. I kind of like the company size that I have now." And and I said, "No, no, don't confuse growth just with size. Um, you you could modify it and you could say change or die." Hmm. And I think as a I think as a as a society here in particular in in the US we have that same concept I believe going on with millennials as they are changing our economy in many ways and so I think for a lot of companies you have to continue to position your company for the next 5 or 10 years and just resting on your laurels and thinking that you're going to continue the way you've always done business, that, that's, that's just that's not going to work. Um, it used to work maybe for longer periods of time, but I can tell you today we see it lasting for shorter and shorter periods of time. So, David, I hope that gives you a little bit of a perspective, you know, kind of my background and where my passion comes from. Absolutely, David. And, and so you said something really interesting in the beginning. You talked about, you know, why you started Capstone and and helping companies grow and working on the strategic side of what they do. Why was that a gap in 95? And then where do you see those gaps that are still consistent today that you mm -hmm. you see Capstone still being able to 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 be that to to help fill that void for companies as they continue to grow? You know, that's a great question. So let me tell you how I saw it. And I still see it today, to be honest with you. Um, when a company is trying to figure out how to grow, they will often bring in industry consultants. You know, I'm waving my fingers to, to put the quote signs in there. And they bring in their, you know, people that have done a lot of work in the industry and know a lot about their space, and they help put together an analysis and, and studies of the industry and and uh, but then they get to a doorstep that says, okay, well, we actually now have to implement this. You know, it ends up being this big, you know, 200-page report on the the market and the players and the competitive dynamics and where the trends are. 
and usually and part of what's embedded in there is that you're missing some things. Um, and part of it then says, you know, you need to go acquire a company or partner with a company in some form or fashion. And then that when they get to that doorstep, there's generally a whole new group of people that get invited into the conversation. And these are lawyers, accountants, investment bankers, brokers, you know, tax people, you know, that a lot of the, the technical folks um, around uh, M&A. And what I saw then and what I still frankly see today is that there was a great divide there. So the, the consultants, I can't get rid of them. Um, you know, they're just one step below being an employee. And they are, in many cases, extremely competent, capable people. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a generalization. What I have found is a lot of times they drink each other's Kool-Aid because all they know is the industry that they're in. And so I think it's hard for them sometimes to break out and think about, okay, but this is how we do it today, but we need to break this model and, and think about where we're going to be 10 years from now or whatever period of time you're looking at. And then I saw the technical side, you know, the investment bankers and the lawyers and the accountants, and they're all deal-driven, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but what I didn't like was I didn't think that there was a real blend of that in the marketplace to be thinking, in particular for mid-market companies, about how do we think about our company as it is today, and how do we start thinking about our company as it could be? Hmm, interesting. And so one of the things that we have really prided ourselves on is we, we're not industry experts. So a lot of, a lot of times people in our, in our industry will pick, you know, five spaces that they're going to be an expert on. You know, that, that's, those are the markets that they're going to do, um, you know, their work in. And we've deliberately not done that. We've deliberately said we want to be industry agnostic, and what we want to really focus in on is you know, what do we learn from one industry that can parlay to another industry? And how do we start taking some of the different ideas and trends and concepts and use those as ways to make sure that we're staying sharp uh, with our thinking about how we're going to position, uh, you know, our company? Um, because I think too often, you know, we, we, we have to remember the, the, the Henry Ford quote, you know, of, uh, over 100 years ago. He said, you know, if I'd asked my customers what they wanted, they would have set a faster horse. And so I, I think for a lot of us, we have to be thinking about the mechanized horse for our clients um, because they're not necessarily visioning that. And, <laughs> and so I think having that exposure to other spaces is, is an important element. And especially as we're moving you know, more and more and more to uh, digital industries where technology is really having an impact. You know, who... Who would have ever thought, or how many people thought five years ago, that we would be talking today about autonomous 18-wheel vehicles? Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the kind of impact. I mean, people are probably thinking, you know, as a truck driver, I've always got a job. Well, maybe not so fast. And and so that we're we're starting to see those kinds of things happen in other industries. But 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 if I'm only if I'm only thinking about my industry as it is today. I think sometimes we get a little bit uh, a myopia about what tomorrow might look like, and that's where I think we get a little bit short-sighted and, and caught off guard sometimes. So that's really the that's where my passion comes from is really trying to think about how are we 
how are we clearing our crystal ball as much as we can to better understand where we might position our our, our company for uh, for the future? And you know, it's fascinating that you mentioned that, and I love that Henry Ford quote because I think it's it's true. You know, uh, not realizing that the mechanized horse is is a lot better than just a faster horse. Um, you know, and, and so w- when you think about all of those different items that come into play when you're talking about growing a company. I would think that a lot of people at that place, they know they need to grow. They don't know what growth really means, right, for for their particular company. And so a company like right. Capstone can help them figure that out. But in a lot of ways, I would say that at that point, though, if you're the CEO, the founder of this company that seems to be, you know, growing, you know, whether it's product sales or just an employee, but whatever that growth is, right? When you start bringing in all those other uh, voices, right, like you mentioned, you know, the lawyers, now you got attorneys and now you got all these, you know, consultants and different people. I'm sure that transition for this, the CEO feels a bit like I'm losing my company. And I'm sure they they go through their own um, uh, uh, portion of change at that time that you might, I, I would see as, as Capstone kind of helping coach them through. Talk to us a little bit about what the the CEO was going through about that um, during that time when when that growth is happening and all these other voices are starting to come into the room. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's a bit of a trust factor that you kind of kind of have. But you you in some ways you might not because this has been your baby for, you know, X amount of years. Talk to us about what's happening in the mind of that CEO mm-hmm. at that time. Um, let me give it to you from two perspectives. So the CEO that's selling the owner of a company that's selling. Um, but I always tell them when we're at that point in the process is, is that prepare yourself um, to, to think of this like a funeral. Um, and because for a lot of owners, CEOs that, that, that are going through the sell side process, selling their company, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it is a very emotional process for most of them. Yeah. Um, and so what I tell them is think of this being like a funeral. You're going to have to go through a mourning process and, and you'll come through it, but just be prepared for that. On the buy side, um, what I, I, you know, I deal with a lot of different um, CEOs, so it's t- you can't just broad brush it. So let me give you a couple different kind of categories of, of, of what CEOs are kind of going through at that point. So in many cases, we've get we have very aggressive visionary CEOs that are just incredibly laser focused. You know, to give you an analogy, think of the Steve Jobs kind of person, you know, that's just extremely focused and and passionate about what they're doing, and nobody's sure. going to get in their way. Sure. <laughs> and that CEO, that CEO has a bias for action. So the main thing we got to do on those is make sure we're make sure we're really staying, keeping the keeping the train on the rails, so that we keep good opportunities in front of them. Don't you know? Don't put don't allow them to get distracted by bad opportunities because they're just action oriented. Um, right. So that's kind of one end of the spectrum. You know, in the in the middle, you have CEOs that tend to be, you know, fairly contemplative, and this is, you know, a, a very, you know, think of an engineer or a CPA kind of mindset, and you know, this is just part of that process, and they tend to be very deliberate and very process oriented, very um, consensus building, and for those CEOs, a lot of it is is preparing them for the fact that there's going to be hiccups. You know, you don't like hiccups, but there are going to be some hiccups. There are things that aren't going to go the way you thought they were going to go. There are going to be issues and challenges and, and part of it is just being prepared for that and not uh, being a deer caught in the headlights so you know understanding how you're going to react to that and and uh, anticipate that so we have a kind of a whole process for helping them to 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 be prepared for that absolutely on the other 
kind of the third quadrant, or third, not quadrant, the third uh, piece there would be uh, owners that are, are CEOs that are, they, how do I say it, they, they talk the right talk, but they don't walk the talk. And for them, it's really tough because they will, they're, you know, they're hand ringers. You know, they, they, you know, they, they may, they may say that they believe in this and they know they need to do it, but the actual ability to make those decisions, and you'd be surprised how many CEOs actually fit that category, because, especially for the first one, they've never done this before, and so there's that anxiety about, you know, what's the risk involved, and so one of the things that, uh, which is one of the reasons. Quite frankly, I wrote my book. It's also one of the reasons why I have created a process for it is I want them to see what the future is going to look like. What is this going to look like on the other end of it? Right. And for there are an occasional group of CEOs that I have to counsel them, I don't think you're the right person to do this. You're hmm. going to spend two years looking at, at deals, and you're, you're, it's just going to be a waste of time. It's going to be a distraction for you. Um, or let's get something that's really kind of low risk, small. Let, let's just get you comfortable with how this is going to work. So okay. there are a lot of different kinds of CEOs, but those would be the three buckets that I would kind of generalize them uh, in. And each take a little bit of different, you know, hand-holding in the process and, um, and, uh, and you know, ways to interact with them and the kinds of opportunities you're going to be pursuing because it's going to be very different for each of those. Absolutely. So, so, so let's, um, I want to do this. I want to dive into your industry uh, from this perspective. In 95, you started a company seeing an opportunity, uh, you know, and, and, and built and started building Capstone. There was a point somewhere and I want, I want you to, uh, bring us into this moment. There was a point somewhere where uh, you knew uh, the the perspective person. You had a you had a bio of the type of people you were going to be dealing with, and then one day, this younger version of something you weren't necessarily used to. Um, now we call them millennials. Uh, kind of came into your industry. What was the aha moment that something had changed with the whether that was an employee you hired, whether that was uh, a, a, a millennial CEO that you were dealing with that was, you know, trying to build out their company? What were some of the things that you learned immediately in your industry? And you went, wow, now that's very different than what I would have seen, you know, back in in 95 and in and, and the, and the late 90s. What was kind of that thing that you saw from millennials who brought it into your industry? industry that made you kind of pay attention? You know, that's interesting because I think that I, it's hard to say that there's kind of that one inflection point. I, I think there were uh, a number of, I, I can tell you one from a kind of a personal standpoint. I used to go into meetings and with clients and whoever was kind of our advocate would always make, make it a point of telling me, don't tell them how old you are or in other words, really, don't tell them how young you are was the point because I was pretty young <laughs> at the time. And uh, because, you know, the, the, the typical, you know, client was in his 50s and, uh, you know, I was in my 20s. And so they, you know, they said they're not going to they're not going to believe you. So for me, it was personally it got to the point when that was no longer an issue. It was kind of an inflection point <laughs> for me personally. Um, but I, I think when we started having 
um, people sitting at the table from a client standpoint that were bringing up very different points that hadn't been brought up before. And so, for example, a lot of the uh, historical points would be about, you know, things like how's the company positioned that we're going to be looking at, you know, what's its, what's its um, management team look like, you know, what kind of financials, you know, and things like that. But then we, we got to a point, you know, probably around, I'm going to say, early 2000s, you know, post Y2K, you right. know, that, that was kind of a technical thing, but really post Y2K. But when, when dot-com type companies like Amazon started becoming much more common, um, and we started having conversations around, well, what's our, what's our digital strategy? You know, what's, what's our online position or what's the company's online position and and much more of the conversation was around that component as opposed to you know the product lines the ip the financials of the company you know kind of the traditional pieces and so that to me was a real kind of inflection point that this is here to stay you know there was a period of time in the early 2000s where you know, we had the dot-com error or error, as people will say, and and there was a lot of still uncertainty about where that was going to take us. But now when you move in an area where you've got Amazon and Uber and Airbnb that are, you know, really kind of common vocabulary from a concept standpoint, um, that to me was a real inflection point that business is not going to continue as usual. And and so that's that's been you know less than ten years, um, but that was a real point in time where you know when you're starting to see real traditional businesses saying our model is different, um, that I would say there was a bit of a of an aha. I, and I can only imagine that at that moment you realized, oh well, we might have to even change our strategy and our approach in in what we're doing. So I want to kind of talk. Um, about both ends of the spectrum here. So I'm sure in a lot of cases, uh, your company has dealt with baby boomer CEOs. And then you've also dealt with uh, millennials who either you are attracting into your world, uh, who want to do the type of things that you all do uh, and those that you, you know, you work with directly. What is the difference that you noticed between um a baby boomer CEO who you're helping out and how they're approaching, you know, these strategies versus the younger millennial CEO and the, the younger, uh, you know, version of, you know, leading companies and how they're approaching those same strategies that you're helping them uh, to implement. What, what kind of differences have you noticed in, in the approach of those two different generations? Um, one word, patience. Um, I think the baby boomers, and I don't know if that's necessarily unique just to the baby boomers, but I think it might just be by you know maturity and age. But um, but I've definitely seen a very different level of patience between baby boomers and millennials, or you know maybe a little bit older than millennials, even kind of in that that space there, where you know the baby boomers have gone through a lot. I mean they've seen a lot of different things happen, um, and they are not just going to you know, be kind of uh, 
seat of the pants in terms of you know reacting to or overreacting in many cases um, to situations in the marketplace. So that's both positive and negative. If I look more down uh, age-wise to the millennials, um, I don't see the same level of patience, which again isn't surprising given their age. Um, but in addition to that, I don't see them being tied to well, we've always done it that way. You know, we we had a whole generation that was very much what I call linear. You know, well, our grandfathers did it, our fathers did it, we're doing it, our sons will do it, our daughters will do it. And it was very kind of linear. You know, this is the way it works and, you know, almost a, a you know, a, a playbook of, of how you do things and you stick with it and you move up the ranks and, and there's just this this whole process that's kind of uh, expected. For the millennials, they're not following that same playbook. Um, they're not following that playbook in terms of, of how they view their relationship with their company that they work uh, with or for. Um, but they're also, just from a decision-making standpoint, I don't think that they're as wedded to, you know, the past in terms of, how business is being done. I think they're, they're, they have a different level of creativity because they have a different level of experience. In addition to that, they have a different perspective on what the demand is going to look like for this new growing generation mm. um, that's going to start having a lot of economic power. Interesting. And and so I think from that standpoint, they are there's a, there, I think there's a bit of a, of, a, of a battle, but it probably happened between the baby boomers and World War II or World War I guys. You know, I mean, it, right. know, there probably was something similar in that sense. I think what's different, you know, I wasn't around then, so I don't know, but what I, what I sense from talking to people and just my own experience, what's different now is, you know, it's a little bit of going from an agrarian economy to a more of a, of a mechanized economy, and now we're moving to a digital economy where you've got people that are having very different vocabularies um, because the technologies are different and the way that they're approaching problem solving uh, I think is different. So much more of a, of a uh, much less I should say of kind of a homogenous group, much more dispersed in terms of their experiences, their interactions, the way they collaborate, um, so I think that that's where I, maybe a longer answer than you were looking for, but I see some things in there that are related to patience at the core and also then from there how they are solving problems and saying what could be not just what is now. Yeah, you, you know, um, so and you that, bring that, up that a different. Yeah, you bring up a really good point because, you know, one of the things that that you said that kind of uh struck inside of me is you, you start talking about, you know, let's just look at the last 30 years, right? It was mm -hmm. a, a real uh, pat on the back, a prideful moment for any business owner to own a brick and mortar company, right? You have to right. come to my business, right? To patronize my business. You have to, you know, purchase whatever it is I, I do. But millennials have come up basically with their version of brick and mortar, which is a completely digital business. 
that is not, <laughs> you know, you don't have to show up right. at this particular area, but it's available to you at any given time. And I mean, there are hundreds of stories, obviously, of companies that are in need of services like yours who have a very small footprint as far as physically. But when you start looking at what they're doing online, how they're generating their sales and the the growth that they're looking at, that's a completely different you know, mindset. It's still a company. It's still relevant, but they might be in a, you know, uh, a, a, a one story building with, you know, five or six, you know, employees, but they're running like a hundred million dollar business. Right. So right. it's, it's a very different world. And so when I was, when I was listening to what you're saying, I, I didn't think about it that way, but it's true. It's just, it's different. And so it comes with a very different yeah. set of ideas, thought processes, um, uh, same still principle, I would imagine, of strategic initiatives. But how you go about implementing that stuff is very different in today's world. Would, mm -hmm. would you agree with that? Yeah. And actually, um, let, let me give you an example to kind of help punctuate what you're saying. Um, think about a company like Marriott, who just went through this pretty sizable acquisition of Starwood. Yeah. yeah. Right. So think about how does a Marriott stay relevant? And so for your listeners, you know, if we could have them raise their hands. How many of them are millennials and how many of them are Generation X or uh, baby boomers or just non-millennials? And then say, okay, how many of you have stayed at a Marriott? And then probably get pretty much everybody's hand has, has been raised, right? And then how many of you have stayed in Airbnb? And I think you'd see a very significant divide. Right. Um, and then how many of you have stayed at an Airbnb for business? And I think you'd even see a bigger divide. And my point in that is, is that so you're a, you're a company like Marriott. You've got a big brand name. You've got lots of brick and mortar. You've got lots of processes and, and things that go with it. And now all of a sudden you've got an Airbnb that's coming in. They don't have all that brick and mortar like you're <laughs> That's about. right. They don't. Right? They're going to use your brick and mortar. That's you know? right. They're going to use your home, your apartments in, in Manhattan or wherever they are. And they're going to use that, and they're going to be the conduit because they've got the, the technology to match people. Well, wow. I mean, that becomes a game changer because the Marriott has all this infrastructure and legacy and ways of doing things and now you've got something that's very disruptive and we're seeing this in banking we're seeing this in retail we're seeing this in transportation think uber we're seeing this in the hospitality space i think you're going to see it in other spaces why wouldn't why wouldn't someone and i've already i've already uh, seen a little bit of this but why wouldn't someone's home um, potentially become a little bit of a restaurant for somebody um you know you want a home-cooked meal all right, we'll cook you a home-cooked meal. Why couldn't we do that? I mean, there's That's just right. there's yeah. so many things where where the technology has it's more than disruptive. It, it's 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 just it's created a whole different uh, concept. Um, disruptive sounds like you're still left with something. I'm talking about your right. <laughs> I mean, this is like a whole new, you know, sigmoid curve that's in a right. whole new parallel. Yeah, and that's that's what's so exciting but also daunting for a lot of companies you know how do i now the people that have to make stuff that you know you you still need to put lubricants and oil and you got to have things get made you know equipment and, and aluminum and steel and plastic that have to come together to make 
things, um, you know, to make buildings and vehicles and trains and things of that nature. But so that I think that I think we're also seeing a, a, an opportunity where manufacturing becomes a very unique skill set. Absolutely. And then the sales part, you know, kind of that side of it, if you mm -hmm. will. Think of my my example, Airbnb to me is the sales part becomes its own path. And so I think they run in parallel differently than they have in the past. You know, in the past, a manufacturer would make a product, sell it to a wholesaler who would sell it to a distributor, who would sell it to a retailer, who would sell it to a consumer. I think technology is changing that, but I think it also changes the importance and the dynamics of where a company that actually makes things, a manufacturer, will be different than a company that provides a service and will be different from a company that provides kind of that conduit from a sales standpoint. So I think those those elements become a lot different than, than what we have uh, traditionally seen because technology allows us to communicate differently. Now, I know that listening to David today, you're probably wondering, wow, uh, how does a person go from facilitating over a billion dollars in successful mergers and acquisitions, uh, continue to move at the speed that he's moving at and the things that he thinks through and man, he really cares a lot. Well, that's why we have him on the show. You can tell he's passionate. He has a, uh, a, a, a leader's mentality, wants to see everyone grow. And so thank you guys so much for listening to today's show. Hey, while you're listening, I would love it if you would take the time to share this episode. Share with everyone in your network, whether you're on LinkedIn or other forms of social media. You can do that through Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at the handle at High Level Wisdom. Uh, you could share that. Make sure everyone knows that this is a show that you're listening to and you think it's important for them to listen as well. If you're interested, make sure you share comments. Go to our website, www.highlevelwisdom.com. I would love to hear your feedback. I would love to see what you're learning from people like David uh, in this week's interview. Well, thank you guys for listening. I hope that whatever you choose to do, you do it at a high level. Take care. And in just two days, you will get part two of my interview with the CEO of Capstone, David Braun. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.